Hello, hello, hello. My name is Robert. I am the recovery guy, and you have entered into the fix. Hello, hello. My name is Robert. I am the Recovery Guy, and welcome, welcome so much to today's podcast. There is so much going on in my life, and for that, um, I am so grateful. I'm so excited to live this recovered life. I'm coming up um, on an anniversary. April 25th will be uh, 36 years uh, of continual sobriety for me. As so many of you know, I came into recovery February 9th of 1986. I had my relapse after 71 days, and um, on April 25th, I came back to the program. And today, I have 13,121 days of consecutive recovery, sobriety, living free, and I am blown away. Uh, A friend of mine, uh, Brandon, and his, uh, his companion, Heather, uh, we're in uh, going to Las Vegas, and and I was so excited to um, uh, introduce them to my friend Steve M. And many of you know Steve was my first temporary sponsor when I first came into the program, and I had a lot of influences, a lot of people around me, and and Steve was someone I could really relate to for a number of reasons. He had nine months sober. And so he was like my temporary sponsor because he didn't want to have the responsibility of my sobriety. But what a great friend. What a great example. And this is what we do. And this is what we are for each other. And and then there was Slow Will. And, and you, you've heard about, you know, Fast Eddie P and Scott Shields and Tom Bennett and and uh, and Buddy C and of course my sponsor Jack Fisher and you know he passed away uh, three years ago January and now today my sponsor of 42 years is Slow Will and and I'm still working the program of recovery so if you're out there and you're wondering how long you have to do this for it's not how long you have to do it for how long you get to do it for. And for me, again, it's been a long, long time. And we eventually transition from having to, to wanting to, to needing to, to wanting to. In the beginning, we are all in this recovery room together, whether it's a social media recovery or or hopefully it's a physical recovery room because nothing creates accountability like proximity will. And so either way, we all go in there because we need to, right? Uh, but eventually to stay, to recover, to become well, to become happy, joyous, and free, which is the topic of today's podcast, we need to transition from needing to to wanting to. And it's what my sponsor at the time, when I came back from my relapse back uh, April 25th, 1986, uh, Max B was a great friend and a great mentor. And Max helped me understand the difference between needing to and wanting to. You know, I said, Max, I need, I need, I need, right? And he said, Robert, for this thing to work, you have to want it because there's a whole world of people out there who need to recover, who need to get well, 
but they will be dead tonight, tomorrow, next week, next month. It's for those who want it, who are willing to go to any lengths, then you are ready to take certain steps. And I'm so glad even to this day, you know, I was at, I had a great meeting, my friend Danny and Julie and Becky and, and Mitchell and Steve and so many others on this Saturday morning meeting that I go to and great fellowship. And, you know, there's a lot of newcomers there. And so I want them to see me as a person of recovery who still doesn't mind counting the days. I could count the weeks, the months, the years. I can even count the decades. And yet it's the value of the day, the value and the importance of the day, because really in the big book, what it says, what we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. And so I still count my days. I still call my sponsor, Will. I still go to meetings. I still read my big book and other recovery material. I'm still accountable to my wife, to my children, to certain friends and mentors and and spiritual leaders in my life, because that is how I got sober and how we got sober is how we stay sober. And as we grow and we move into that. Hey, a quick note, I'm going to meet with my friend Danny this Thursday night over some great tacos. And we're going to discuss my semi-annual fundraiser. And this is how you can help. Um, This is how I raise all of my funds so I don't have to charge treatment centers. Like I'm going out to Cedar House and they're very limited. They're 501c3 and they don't have a lot of money. A lot of it's federal money. And so I want to be able to go and, and spend and, and use most of my money to get there, to teach their participants, to go and speak at their alumni event and all my public speaking and things that I do. Um, as you well know, I've got over 220 podcasts and blogs and, and all these things. And there is expensive involved with this. And one of the ways that you can be a part of it is to donate. And I'll give you more detail on that. I've got some nice um, gifts to send out to you, and I'll let you know what that looks like uh, next week when uh, when we go ahead and launch that semi-annual fundraiser. And thank you in advance for your participation. And you may not see or hear from the people that you help, from all of you who have contributed already. Matter of fact, I'm really looking into getting things funded to a degree through donations and love offerings, that even my one-on-one coaching, if you tell me that you can't afford it, I don't want that to be an issue. Obviously, if you go to N-A-A-A-O-A-G-A-S-A, all of those are free and you can do that. And I recommend that. Matter of fact, if you're not already moving in the direction that I would want you to go in, the likelihood is you're not going to move for me, right? And so, so I, I recommend you go to those things. You, you find your church, your synagogue, your mosque, your, your parish, what have you to find what, but if you need any extra assistance, that's what I do as a life and a sober coach. Uh, but if you can't afford it, um, I don't want to say I can't help you. Uh, and that's where your donations really come in handy as well. Anyway, I'll give you more detail about that next Tuesday. Here we are. We're happy, we're joyous, and we're free. I'm going to read you a couple excerpts, and then we're just going to talk about them for a minute and let you know how I incorporate these things in my life. Uh, and by the way, 
all those people I mentioned to you, I'm so glad when I went into the recovery rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous back in 1986, men and women who were already there were teaching me these things. And so I was taught, therefore I teach, right? I try to take in and practice and own, even though it's our recovery, I apply it in a personal way so it becomes my personality. So I'm not Will, I'm not Steve, I'm not Buddy, I'm not Eddie, I'm not Scott, right? They they portray it in their own way, very similar, but there's a different nuance. There's a different personality. There's a, you know, you may be... Uh, come from a different part of the country. You may be white. You may be a black American. You may be Nigerian. You may be male. You may be female, right? All these things matter in terms of how we show you the same thing we have learned along the way. And one of these things is called happy, joyous, and free. And it comes from the family afterward, which is a great chapter in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I've been called a big book thumper before. And I used to, it used to bother me because they were calling me names and making fun of me. But I thought, you know what? It's a badge of honor. You know, uh, I hope the people who were who were poo-pooing and criticizing me for a big book thumper. I hope you're still sober. I hope you're still clean because I have found life in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, just as people would find life in um, the Quran, um, in the Bible, in other religious, um, uh, in the Talmud, in, in all of the other religious writings where you draw your inspiration from, I hope it leads you in the same path. Here it is on page 132, and I won't read a lot to you, just a couple excerpts. I don't want to bore you um, if in case I already have. But it says here, uh, halfway down the page, and this is something that Slow Will, 42 years sober, still goes to meetings, still sponsors people, still reads his recovery material, still travels and speaks. Great example for me, but this is something that he and the others taught me. And of course, Jack Fisher lived this until his 44 years of sobriety until he passed away. Says that we have been speaking to you of serious, sometimes tragic things. Ain't that the truth? We have been dealing with alcohol in its worst aspect, but we aren't. Are you ready? We aren't a glum lot. If newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence, they wouldn't want it. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. Then it goes down to a couple more paragraphs and it says, So we think cheerfulness and laughter make for usefulness. Outsiders are sometimes shocked when we burst into merriment over a seemingly tragic experience out of the past, but why shouldn't we laugh? We have recovered and have been given the power to help others. Then over on page 133, it says, we are sure God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. We cannot subscribe to the belief that this life is a veil of tears, though it once was just that for many of us. But it is clear that we made our own misery. God didn't do it. 
avoid then the deliberate manufacture of of misery, but if trouble comes, cheerfully capitalize it as an opportunity to demonstrate his omnipotence. Isn't that powerful stuff? So page 132 and 133 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, even if you're not a person of addiction, of recovery, of behavioral challenges, you'll want to get this book uh, because it is so inspirational. It's actually a design for living. This is great recommendation for anyone looking to break out of that stupid, boring, and glum into a life of freedom, of joy, of happiness, of happy, joyous, and free dumb. You know, I'm just going to go to the last uh, remark here. Avoid then the deliberate manufacture of misery, but if trouble comes, cheerily capitalize it as an opportunity to demonstrate his, your higher powers, omnipotence. You know, this was no more true, never more true in my life in a few occasions. The most significant occasion, this was before I met Laura, who revolutionized and changed my entire life as my life partner and my wife of almost 33 years. Uh, I was two and a half years sober, and you may have heard this story before, so indulge me if you will, if you have. Uh, So I'm two and a half years sober, and my dad, who was alcoholic, was now sober a number of years, nine years, and I was sober two and a half years, and I was uh, managing a Black Angus restaurant in Montclair, California, where I subsequently met Laura. And so it's August 1st, and I'm driving to Las Vegas to go spend a week with my dad, have a great time, play some pinochle, kick back, relax, tell stories, laugh, just become that friend, that continuation of the friend that I always wanted to be with my dad, but alcohol on both sides of the table got in the way. I became addicted, started drinking when I was 14, became addicted when I was 18, took off, you know, and you, you, you know the story, you know the drill. So, so here I was and I'm knocking on my dad's door to make a long story short, instead of spending the week with my dad, I buried my dad because he had died about 15 minutes before I got there, had a heart attack in his sleep. And I went and instead of meeting with my dad and hanging out with my dad, I met my mom, my ex-wife, Sue, my sister, Patty was there. And I remember going in with the doctor and signing my debt, my dad's death certificate, right? I'm a junior. So here I am claiming his body, identifying him because my mom wasn't able to do it. They pronounced him dead. And I'm signing Robert Pardon that I am verifying that Robert Pardon has died. It was a real surreal moment. Anyway, so so here I am. And now we're together with some family and my sponsor, Jack, who was also friends with my family there in Las Vegas. And and here it was. It was a time of trouble in every stretch of the imagination. It was trouble emotionally, spiritually, mentally, even physically, it was taxing. Two and a half years sober. And and I looked to God, my higher power, and I said, God, if you get me through this week, this time, this window, this morning, I will know there is never a reason, a reason for me to drink or use again. I used it as an opportunity for my higher power to demonstrate his omnipotence in my life. And guess what? I've never found it necessary to drink or use in the almost, uh, what, 33 and a half years since that time. And for that, I'm very grateful. 
This is recovery because sometimes, you know, when I'm sharing as you may share with other people and you who share your faith and your recovery and your energy and your exuberance toward life, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes when I'm identifying and I'm talking to a large group, either speaking for five or six minutes in a meeting or sharing for 45 minutes or 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 facilitating a a a group in hospital and institutions or being in the prison, we are going to speak sometimes of serious, sometimes tragic things because we do deal with alcohol and addiction and other behavioral challenges in the very worst aspects. And that is how we identify. So people know that we know what it's like to suffer as they've suffered, but we aren't a glum lot. And I guarantee you, if I see someone promoting something, a concept, an idea, and yet I see no energy, I see no commitment, I see no vitality, nothing convincing that I really believe what they're telling me. I'm not very apt to sign off on it because they're not believable. I don't see the evidence, the joy, the energy in their life that I would say, you know what, they really believe that I'm going to sign off on it. You know, water seeks its own level. And because of that, I want my water level to be high because I want to attract others who are that way. But if I find someone who is down below, I can bring them up. You know, you've heard the adage that misery loves company. Well, that's not really true. More true is misery loves miserable company. Misery just doesn't love any old company. Misery is not going to like people like you and me who are involved in recovery, who have an energy, who have a zeal, who have a message of hope, of reformation, of life-changing process that we want to share with them. No, they're going to go in another direction rather quickly because they don't want to be around us, right? Whereas the people who are sick and tired of being sick and tired, who, who... who need this so bad they're willing to want it. Those are the ones who are willing to hear this message. So then it goes down to say that, so we think that cheerfulness and laughter make for usefulness. You know, and that is so true because I want people to see that I'm cheerful, to see that I'm laughing at life. Sometimes life is uncomfortable. You know what? That is the time I need to reach out to other people even more so. Oftentimes I see people who aren't very cheerful. Maybe something's happened in their life. Maybe they're taking themselves too darn seriously and really need to practice rule 62. One of the things I ask them is, When was the last time you went and shared your story with someone else? When was the last time that you reached out to someone, got out of yourself for just a moment? Because then we realize that maybe we're not as bad off as we think. And maybe we get preoccupied with helping someone else long enough to forget exactly where we're at. It's kind of like Muzak. You know what Muzak is? Muzak is that is that taped entertainment over the phone, on the elevator, in the mall to make you forget that you're waiting for something. It's that it's that music in your doctor's office while you're waiting for the appointment. Oftentimes, we may have to wait 5, 10, or 15 minutes. Trust me, if I have to wait longer than 15 minutes, I'm getting another doctor. Uh, no one should be that busy or, or schedule so poorly. Uh, so, so that's the entertainment. That's what keeps me 
sort of preoccupied, forgets about my waiting while I am waiting. And helping others is a great way to do this. Says outsiders or people who don't understand our recovery are shocked when we burst into merriment over a seemingly tragic experience out of the past. You know, I tell people, I don't tell a lot of jokes when, cause I'm not very funny. Um, in, uh, when, when I speak, <laughs> but, but I do tell people that, that I don't know how long I was, I don't know how long I was married to my second wife, but I remember, I just, I really honestly don't remember it. It was somewhere between 1982 and 1985 or 1981. And I, I honestly don't remember. And, and I can't pinpoint it. Matter of, matter of fact, I remember getting a call from my second wife and I had already been married to Laura probably four or five years. And my, my second wife called me and said, by the way, did you ever file the divorce papers? <laughs> and I thought, I don't know. I was drunk, right? I mean, to me, that that's a tragic situation, but to me, it's funny. I mean, could you imagine being so drunk and out of it that you don't remember how long you were married or did you really file for divorce and and now you're happily married four or five years down the line and your, your wife's calling you, your ex-wife, I guess she was my ex-wife, calling you to see if you ever got divorced. To me, that's funny. And and I burst into life. Some people might say, what's so funny about that? Well, when you come from places where we come from, that's kind of funny stuff. But it says, why shouldn't we laugh? We have recovered. You know what we recover from? We recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I was never hopeless in my mind or my body. It just seemed that way. And now I have hope. Now I have power. Now I have a reason to live not only for myself, for my wife, for my children, my grandchildren, my friends, my family members, but other people of recovery because we have been given the power to help others. That's step 11. Step 11, if, if whatever 12-step program you're in, you have step 11 because there are 12 steps and it's, and it's probably about seeking through prayer and meditation, right? In AA, it's sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood God, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out, the power to carry that out. Do you know what that that will for us is? It's step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So I'm giving power and a direction to help others. That is recovery. That is about being happy, joyous, and free. Matter of fact, it goes on in page 133. We are sure, not we think so, not maybe, we are sure that God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. Wow. Where we come from, do you remember all the people that we disappointed along the way? Do you remember the disappointment and the remorse you felt in yourself as I did? And that constant nagging, that constant voice of, why are you doing this? Why are you disappointing people who love you? Don't you care? And the problem is we cared. We were just trapped. We were locked in a progressive illness that over any considerable period, things get worse, never better. And now we go from there to this life of being happy, joyous, and free because we are sure 
that God, our higher power, wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. We cannot subscribe to the belief that this life is a veil of tears, though it once was just that for many of us. If we are miserable, it's because we've created our own misery. God didn't do it. Avoid then the deliberate manufacture of misery. So if you're miserable and you're in recovery, guess what? You've got to own that. I have to own that. It is my responsibility to break out of that because I have all the tools. If, if you have something that's broken, that that is in need of repair, and you have the ability to do it, and you've been given the instructions, you've been given the power, you've been given every tool you need to make this thing work, and you don't. Whose responsibility is that? I have to own that. You know, Zig Ziglar said, and I love this quote because it was actually from one of his goals classes, and Zig said, if you are born poor, it's not your fault, but if you die poor, that is your fault. And the same way with you and me, many of us came from alcoholic and codependent households. Heck, I'm an Al-Anon, I'm an ACA, I'm an alcoholic, drug addict, compulsive overeater. I was addicted to pornography. I came in the back door through Gamblers Anonymous, right? I was given to anger. All those things that we bring in with us. And yet that wasn't my fault that I was born into a dysfunctional family. But did that give me license to stay dysfunctional? No. I remember one time I was with my mom and we were driving to the bank and my, my mom and I were talking about my personal recovery. And she looked at me and she said, remember, I'm a junior. So I wasn't Robert. Then I was Bobby. And she said, Bobby, I'm so sorry that your dad and I did this to you. I said, Mom, I don't ever remember you forcing me to drink or to use drugs or to not show up for my children's birthday or to walk out of my children or divorce Sue. I don't remember you making me do that. And she said, Bobby, we would never do that. She was astounded that I would say that to her. I said, Mom, I guess it wasn't your fault then, was it? You know, at some point, at some point in my addictive life, because if I don't take responsibility, I will die. Then certainly in my recovered life, in my sober life, I have to make a decision to become happy, joyous, and free. Because at this point, it's my responsibility. I am accountable. As Stephen Covey would say, responsible. I am responsible. And that is today that I am. My commitment to myself so I can fulfill the commitment to you is to be happy, joyous, and free. To not be that is to deny the power that my higher power wants to give me so I can take that power and go share it with another person who is in need to be happy, joyous, and free. I want to thank you so much for indulging me today. Listen more than once. Please share this podcast with a friend, obviously, recoveryguy.org, whatever major podcast channel you're listening to this on, also at recoveryguy.org. I've got about 145 blogs, The usually the first or the second Thursday of every month, Susie uh, W., my dear friend uh, on Al-Anon's side, publishes a podcast for us. Uh, let me know what I can do to encourage you along your road of happy destiny. 
Also, on next week's podcast, look for the directive for the instructions for you to contribute to this mission so I can do more travel, especially with COVID being so relaxed. I'm getting more calls to go places, and it costs hundreds of dollars to travel. I, I, I'm not embarrassed to say I'll spend seven, eight hundred dollars to go speak somewhere. And very rarely are they in a position to reimburse me at least the whole amount. So, and I know you, you have an investment in this uh, thing we call recovery at Recovery Guy. And I know you want to be a part of it as opportunity would present itself in your life. So look for that next week. Thank you so much for all that you do. If there's anything I can do for you in your journey, let me know what that looks like. Remember, we got broken apart and we get whole together. And at the end of the day, my name is Robert and I am the recovery guy.